what is Christ's by nature shall be ours by grace. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Dave the Power Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? Good. You like? Is that from my shirt? Is that why you're saying it's that? It's from your shirt. Yeah. That's all I got. I saw a word on your shirt, and I said it for your middle name. You were doing, you were doing calisthenics while you, while you introduced the show today. <laughs> I was. I was. I don't know what I'm doing here, I don't, but I'm getting thin. That's all I care about. Yeah. Getting thin, I can tell. I can see it through Skype. I can see it. Yeah, well, the camera adds 10 pounds. So the question is, how many cameras are actually on me? (laughs) (laughs) What do you have going on? Hey, I have a mission this weekend. I'm so excited. Actually, by the the time they hear this episode, I will be on my way home from the mission. But I'm so excited for an in-person mission. Where are you going? Where are you going? Maryland. 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 Yeah. 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 Three-day parish mission? No, it's actually just two nights, and it's on evangelization, which is exciting for me because even though I talk about evangelization with you every week, I don't normally talk about it for my talks, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So it is it is funny me and you talk about that. Like there's these like certain times I I seem to only talk about one thing for like months and months. It's like I'm so done with this. And then then it shifts and I'm like, oh I miss doing that, you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. What what about you? What do you have going on? Oh man, a lot of napping. I'm going to do a lot of napping. Now, I oh, man, that's awesome. I have I have kind of three three fairly big things going on. Um I'm going to go to my friends over at Prince of Peace in Plano, Texas. I love these people. I love that church. I yeah. love that church. Yeah, they do. They have a wonderful thriving young adult ministry and I was just invited to go again and give a talk. It was uh, the snow apocalypse um prevented me from actually going the original date, but it's on getting people back into church, right? So, it's cool. a talk for young adults about getting getting butts and seats. Uh, building up community again post post covid so i'm super excited that's on tuesday at the end of the month i got a weird thing my buddy who i used to work with steven he now works at push pay which is like an online payment processor type thing and they're oh yeah uh, yeah sure they're awesome people we use it for our church finance stuff and they they do a conference called church disrupt every year and uh so they uh because of steven they asked me to they're trying to build up their catholic business that's why they hired steven and uh, so my, I'm going to go and give a couple talks, a, a keynote and stuff like that. And I got to go and they were telling me it's going to f- be filmed in Atlanta. And then I have to, they'll fly me out and fly me back because it's all online. And I was like, oh man, I was like, I got a buddy that lives there. It'll be great. You know, whatever. And he said, oh no, we just fly you out for one day. Like you fly out early in the morning, you give your talks, we'll take you to a big lunch, all this stuff. You'll get to meet all the other speakers and then you'll be home maybe even by dinner. And I'm what? like, oh, this is what? the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's great being in Atlanta where they have a hub, right? And right, you right, know, right, all right. the airlines fly there directly. So right. it's stuff like that that I get like super excited about because it feels normal. And then the last thing is uh, That Man Is You. Uh, do you guys have a That Man Is You ministry at your parish? Not at my parish, but um, there, yeah, there's a few in the diocese. Yeah, so we've had it since like day one, and so they've re-recorded I think three times all of their content, and so I'm a part of it. It's really funny. I did it last semester. We recorded stuff, and it was like Dr. John Bergsma, Dr. Scott Hahn, Dr. Mark Amiravalli, Gomer. Gomer. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, That's oh, funny. which one of these is not like the other? And it right. was me. 
it was me. Now, is the guy who runs that man as you, is he a Franciscan grad? Uh, Mark. Yeah, he was there when we were there. Okay, so I thought. Yeah, Mark Hartfield. He doesn't I, I, run it. He's like the high up at Paradisius Day is the okay. overarching organization. Steve Bowman runs that. Okay. And, but yeah, he's 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 the only guy that I've really interfaced with in terms of getting all the content up and running and stuff. Because uh, like when Mark when I saw his name, I was like, oh, I knew that. I kind of knew who he was at Franciscan. We weren't friends or anything like that. But I wish I would have gotten to know him now that I realized. You know, I mean that that's a great ministry. I love that man as you. Yeah, it's really it's really great, and uh, the quality for those of you who are thinking about doing a men's program, that man is you is pretty good when it comes to really getting the fathers, you know, the husbands, getting them together. A lot of the content, especially in the beginning, was a lot about fatherhood and and being married. So when I first started going to that man is you, I was single, you know, didn't have any kids or anything. Oh, like really? That. Okay. And I'm like, I feel alienated. <laughs> but um, the guys who are, I mean, it's all about. It becomes all about like. You you know you watch the talk and it's a really high quality recording, and then you break it open in small groups and um, the small groups ended up being the people that you kind of journey with you know and it's and it's intense and even my dad right now my dad is doing it at his his parish um, of course he's retired I think it's just a get out of the house yeah I gotta get and away he, from yeah, this and woman. your dad's like a super good person so yeah I mean yeah. he's all right no, I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome well we have I, I'm excited about our topic today because. Um, it's like uh, kind of been an obsession of mine, not this year, but the year before that. Mm. And it's divine filiation, which uh, Gomer actually pitched the topic. And I, I'm 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 excited to hear your thoughts and to add in some commentary here because yep. I think it's, I do think it's like a a life changing topic. It can be mm-hmm. right a life changing topic and a way to understand. I think for a lot of us, like we go through the motions of trying to be a Catholic and trying to be a better person, but we don't really understand how divine life is communicated to us. Yeah. And it, it helps to understand that. Yeah. I think the phrase that I try to teach and communicate, um, because everyone today thinks they're canonizable, right? And they, yeah. I'm not a sinner. What are you talking about? Right. The thing that I try to get across is we don't know what we've lost and that's why we don't see the gravity of our sin. If you can see the gravity of your sin, through the backdrop of not just Adam and Eve, but your own life, then you understand and can appreciate what Christ accomplished for you. And a lot of times as Catholics, so I was listening to um, this guy being interviewed by an Eastern Orthodox icon painter, and he said, you know, what's the difference between Orthodoxy and Catholicism? Like, what would you say is one of the big differences besides like the Pope and stuff? And he said, well, in Orthodoxy, I really feel like we emphasize the concept of theosis, more than more than in the West. And he's like, oh, what does that mean? He's like, well, becoming God, right? And then you do the Athanasius quote, God became man so that men might become God or become a God, depending on your translation, right? And it's that notion of being so united to the divine that I remain me in my union with God. I, it's not the Buddhist absorption. It's not the Eastern mysticism where you're, where my little drop of water is thrown into the divine ocean. No, it's, I'm not annihilated, but I'm, uh, divinized, right? And I don't think right. in the West we talk about that ever, ever, ever. And I don't really know why, because it is all over Paul's letters. It is all over the Gospels. It is all over the Bible. And yet, Protestant Christianity doesn't really talk about it. They focus just on the Paschal mystery, especially the death of Christ on the cross. In Catholicism, we talk about sainthood, 
right? If we talk about sainthood at all, we talk about it from that lens, but we don't really talk about this notion of divine filiation. And so the impetus for it in my life right now is I'm teaching a bunch of inclusion candidates about the Catholic faith. And I remember this beautiful line from Frank Sheed, where he was teaching a group of Irish teaching nuns in the fifties. Uh, and it, the, the address was called, are we really teaching religion? And I had to write a reflection paper on it and I called it, am I really writing a paper? And I got five points off. Um, <laughs> I thought that title was funny. Okay. So, uh, am I, uh, am, are we really teaching religion in it? He says too many people are confused about the faith. And I've used this quote before. He said, you know, the Our Lady of Fatima, the Trinity, the Eucharist, um, Friday devotions, don't eat meat, you know, like all this is just kind of like mishmashed in Catholic heads. You need a principle that unifies and explains it. And his was the union of man with God in Christ Jesus, the union of man with God in Christ Jesus. So what is Christianity? It's a union of man with God in Christ Jesus. He said, if you want your kids to understand and hierarchically arrange all the truths of a Catholic faith, they need to understand who Jesus is, who man is, who God is, and what the nature of this union is. And then you take like that approach, and that's the way he harmonized the doctrines and dogmas of the Catholic Church. You look at someone like Scott Hahn and Jeff Cavins, and how in the Bible timeline and Scott Hahn's, you know, a father who keeps his promises, they use covenant theology as like the center text that harmonizes and kind of categorizes and assembles the hierarchy of scripture in salvation history. So it's like, I got all these books of the Bible. I don't understand where all the stories fit. Covenant theology, covenant of Adam, covenant of Noah, covenant of Abraham, covenant with Moses, covenant with David, covenant with Jesus. And you're like, oh, okay. So in the covenant with Moses, you start seeing all this stuff. In the covenant with David, that's where the prophets are and all that stuff. And so it's an organizing principle that that is that comes from the text itself. It's not imposed on the outside. And then once you start reading the church fathers, once you start really immersing yourself into this, the covenant theology means establishing a family bond. The union of man with God in Christ Jesus is this notion in the Catholic church, we say divine filiation. And Honestly, the reason why I wanted to do this three days ago, I led our parish staff retreat. So it's a morning reflection. You go to mass together and then I talk for like three hours. So good fun. Good fun. You can actually get the recording. Yikes. I know. I Yikes. know. You can actually get the recordings of my talks on my Patreon page that Dave pressured me uh, to, to do. Um, which, yeah, yeah which is uh, patreon.com slash lay evangelist, maybe, I think. Yeah, there yep, it is. There it is. is. <laughs> Thank you. I don't even remember. But um, I posted the talks yesterday there because one of the things I realized is even e even though we do a good job communicating the faith, when it's received as like, hey, let me give you a good talk on pro-life. Let me give you a good talk on the kerygma. Let me give you a good talk on this, 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 this. People aren't getting it. And then they look at the sacramental life of the church and they just see ritual um, hoops to jump through. And I really felt like right. we could better articulate the liturgy and the sacraments, faith in Jesus Christ, the organizing principles of the New Testament and Old Testament through this concept of divine filiation. And I wanted my people who do those things, whether it's priests in the homily, lay people, you know, running baptism prep classes and first sacraments. I really need everyone to understand what I am doing is taking men and women and turning them into sons and daughters of God in Christ Jesus. That's the goal. So, okay, so I'm glad, okay, that's a great way to set up this, but in order to understand theologically, I have an awesome quote from Scott Hahn 
that sets it up perfectly so that you can build upon this. Okay. So he says in what, what this has like become one of my favorite books called called to be children of God. And he, he writes the foreword and he says, and I'm, I'm pulling from a whole page here. So it's not a, a continuous quote, but he says, Jesus saves us from sin and death. Rescue from sin and death is indeed a wonderful thing, but the salvation won for us by Jesus Christ is incomparably greater for we are not merely saved from sin, we are saved for sonship. He can only adopt us, however, when we have come to share his nature. Adoption and fatherhood imply a certain commonality, a degree of sameness. Yeah. And I think that's what we're talking about here is literally becoming, being adopted by God and coming to that fruition, that coming to fruition in our own lives and hearts, like actually becoming sons and daughters of his you know in 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 every way possible yeah and i and dr Hahn was the first one to really put that into my mind and heart he would say i love my dog i can't d adopt my dog into my family because he doesn't share my nature right so when you start to think about what we have in adam right in genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and 27 when it comes to the special creation of man male and female god says let us make man in our image after our likeness and then god created man in his own image in the image of god he created male and female he created them and we've often in the catholic tradition used the phrase image and likeness and to be that which distinguishes us from the animals namely our rational ability right so often the the theological and philosophical view of that passage is we have reason and free will. But what Dr. Hahn would do is he'd say, no, interpret it from the Jewish understanding or the Hebrew understanding. And the way you get access to that is Genesis chapter five, which is when Adam lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness after his, his image and named him Seth. And Genesis five starts out by saying, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So the idea is what Dr. Hahn's view was that when God put Adam in the garden, when God created Adam and Eve, he wasn't just creating these unique creatures that he blessed. He was creating a finite son and daughter, right? That, that was their vocation. So the reason why from the first moment they had a unique and singular grace, they were created in the state of justice, original justice, right, with God, it's because they were the finite son and daughters of God, right? So what Christ is begotten, not made, they were made, not begotten, but from the first moment of their creation, they had this existence of being in union with God completely as son and daughter. And as the pinnacle of creation, they were both priest and king over creation. So they have dominion language. That's why they're in a the the walled garden is the is the kind of the the temple motif. They're on top of a mountain. So the idea is they are the priest kings, right? And what happens? Well, the fall means we not only lose the priestly authority, we not only lose the dominion authority, but we also lose our sonship in Adam. So we are born as rebellious sons and daughters in Adam. So that rebellion of that state of being disinherited is what we inherit, right? And I think that's so fascinating. It's how I explain original sin to a lot of people who are like, it's stupid that I'm punished by you know, for Adam's sin. And I say, listen, if your dad doesn't pay the mortgage, everyone gets evicted. It's on his credit report. It's not on your credit report. I really strain the analogy, but everyone gets evicted, right? <laughs> so if everyone gets evicted, that's the consequence of his sin, right? So what do you have to do? Well, eventually you have to reestablish and get a new home and blah, blah, blah. Well, it's almost as if Christ establishes the home 
and then takes you all back in to the home and he's the one making the mortgage payments. That's this notion of the prodigal coming home. Yeah, amazing. And it's the, the so this is the heart of the Christian mystery. And it's like Homer yeah. said, it's more than just a way to understand all of the faith. Like this is this is what we're trying to do. Every time you pray, every time you receive the sacraments, every time you uh you know, the old phrase, you are what you eat, take communion. It's in order to to bring to fruition, right, that seed of sonship that is planted in our, our our souls at baptism. Yeah, at baptism, we are actually sons and daughters of God. But that, like theosis, can grow within you, right? This process of being transformed yeah. entirely, completely into um, your own self, into a full and total son and daughter of God is, is amazing. Yeah, and so um, I was reading last night uh, this wonderful book called The Spirit of the Early Church. And as I'm reading that book, um, I'm going through St. Irenaeus. And Irenaeus was one of the first ones to kind of set the tone of commenting on Adam and the relationship between Adam and Christ. And it's really fascinating because the way Irenaeus viewed the relationship between old and new became immediately the view. Right, So whether you're talking about Origen or you're talking about St. Augustine, Gregory of Nazianzus, all of them learned from Irenaeus how to view the unity of Old and New Covenants, Old and New Testaments. Dr. Scott Hahn, when he talks about covenant theology, it was from St. Irenaeus that he first got the understanding. It's like, you do not understand the scriptures until you understand the covenants of scripture. And um, St. Irenaeus, the way he described it was the Bible has these three moves, which is essentially foundation Israel, restoration in Christ Jesus, and then ultimately glorification. And for you and me, so what I did was when I'm teaching people how to read the Bible, I use three things, anticipation, fulfillment, and participation. Anticipation, all that came before Christ, right? The Old Testament, Adam and Eve, you know, the book of Genesis is like the origin story of the people of Israel. Exodus to, um, you know, all the way to Second Maccabees is the history of Israel. And then we come to fulfillment, right? Fulfillment is the four gospels. And then our participation in Christ's once for all, you know, purely his merits, our participation in his fulfillment is Acts of the Apostles onwards. It's the life of the church. So he is the messianic age who fulfills all that came before, right? And so when you look at the Bible, you find that this notion of sonship and daughterhood, right, is key to understanding what God is doing in Israel. What is he doing? Well, first you got Adam and Eve who are made in the image and likeness, that's sonship terminology. You have Abraham, the exalted father, father of a multitude. And God relates to Abraham in a very peculiar way because he really cares about Abraham's son. And, you know, he has this phrase in Genesis 22, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And then when you see God, um, uh, uh, Jesus getting baptized, Jesus on Mount Tabor, he's like, this is my son, my only son whom I love, right? Like this emphasis on Jesus is fulfilling what came with Abraham, right? And Isaac, right? Instead, he goes to the land of Moriah, which is where Jerusalem is, and he is offered on the mountain. And you see these reoccurring patterns, but then you get into Israel. And at the very foundational moment of Israel's freedom in Exodus chapter four, the first time God gives Moses the mission, he says, and you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn let my son go that he may serve me. And that notion of like Israel as the firstborn among many brethren, well, that becomes the very phrase that is used to describe Christ after the resurrection. He is the firstborn from the dead, the firstborn among many 
brethren. And so you, we have to do a better job at emphasizing the theosis, at emphasizing this divine filiation. And filiation comes from the Latin filius, meaning son. So it's the action of being made a son in Christ Jesus. Right, and it, he'll continue throughout the Old Testament to re- refer to Israel as his son and his family, right, in a familial yeah. way. I think um, so we can get this, like, out there, Gomer, like, just for, for our listeners to understand why this is so important. I think, you know, we've talked a lot about why, like, that the church doesn't understand the incarnation, that we have to really bring back incarnational yeah. theology. And this is why I keep saying that, like, is – you, you, if you don't understand the incarnation, you don't understand the divine exchange that that God wants to to bring us into, right? That continually the Holy Spirit is catching us up into the into the economic Trinity, right? Into God loving His Son and and His Son pre- pre- and and Jesus, God's Son presenting Himself on behalf of humanity, of us being caught up into that. This is this is exactly why it's so important to understand the incarnation because. Jesus being our brother makes us able to then present ourselves to the father with Jesus as, as his sons and daughters. Yeah. And like, for instance, I think one of the most difficult things for us as Catholics to truly teach is morality today. Right. And we had that biblical morality episode and all this different stuff, but people need to understand that when Jesus gave us his image of what the moral life is, it was the, you know, in the sermon on the Mount, especially you cannot interpret it without looking through the lens of divine filiation, right? Jesus is telling you, this is who I am, be this. That's what he's doing. This is who I am, be this. So for instance, um, he acts as a new Moses, right? Moses goes, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. He's on the mountain, and then he receives the book of the covenant in the book of Exodus, the beginning of which is the Ten Commandments. God writes in the front and back on two tablets with his own finger, right, carves out the Ten Commandments, which Moses immediately smashes at the base of the mountain when he sees a golden calf. However, the idea of that is Moses goes up the mountain to receive the law from God. What does Jesus do? He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Then he goes up a mountain with his disciples Then he sits down as if he's God descending on the mountain, and then he gives the new law to his disciples. And when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you have to understand more than anything else, the interpretive key for it is sonship, is Jesus is the son. So like, for instance, in chapter six, almost every single thing that Jesus says, he ends it with, for your father who sees in secret will reward you. For your father who hears you in secret will reward you. So the idea is you can't understand the morality of Jesus if you don't understand, one, that he's the eternal son of God, and he is teaching us sons and daughters of Adam how to live this divine sonship, right? That's the idea. And then you realize, in my imitation of him, that's where I that's where this trajectory of divine sonship comes from. So Jesus is, number one, not asking anything of me that he has not already done, right? He's not saying, I want you to be poor in spirit because I'm rich in spirit, right? He's poor in spirit. He's the one who mourns. He's meek. He hungers and thirsts for justice. He's merciful. He's pure of heart. He's a peacemaker, and he's the persecuted one. He did it, so he's trying to replicate it in you. As St. Paul says, that God is trying to conform you to the image of his son. And so that's the work, right? So when you understand, when you present morality, you know, you can do it in a very, um, I think, in a very powerful way where you're trying to say, Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man. This is the way he lived life, right? So us, he's the pinnacle of what it means to be human. So in imitation of him, that's what we become. And so this is what morality is. It's living as a son or daughter in 
the sun. And the, the more we get away from, the more we shift our attention to the law and commandments, the less we tend to understand the sonship at the heart of morality. And that's why you have people who say, and Bishop Barron is fond of saying this, he heard an Irish wag say uh, one time, uh, all that I ever learned in Catholicism was, in the beginning was the word, and that word was no. Right? Like, <laughs> and that's because that's we're, we're teaching morality right. wrong. All we do is tell them a bunch of stuff not to do. And it's like, yeah, that works, but it it's not enough. We need to know the goal at the end. Yeah, okay, so can I, can I, maybe I'm skipping ahead, and you can let me know if I am, but can we just distinguish here what's different between divine filiation and being born again because being born is a big deal for this theme right that john continually talks about like when when um uh, you know in john three right when he's like unless a man is born again right shall not have any life Uh, he says born i think like seven times or something like that in that verse right it's it is it is this idea of being reborn as sons and daughters of god but it's more than just a knowledge of it Right. I mean, can you clarify a little bit like with? Yeah. So and I'll, and I'll just use a catechism because I'm so I'm so amazing. <laughs> uh, in paragraph 1250, born with a fallen human nature and tainted by original sin, children also have need of the new birth in baptism to be freed from the power of darkness and brought into the realm of the freedom of the children of God to which all men are called. The sheer gratuitousness of the grace of salvation is particularly manifest in infant baptism. The church and the parents would deny a child the priceless gift of becoming a child of God were they not to confer baptism shortly after birth. Plot twist, Code of Canada Law says about three weeks. Uh, I never baptized a kid of mine for like months after. Wow. I was a train yeah. wreck in that. Yeah. yeah that's I utterly failed. But yeah, so when you when you look at the church's understanding of like Christ talking about being born again, being born again of water and the Holy Spirit, the reason why we call it divine filiation is is the waters of baptism is what unites us to Christ. And because of that, it is regeneration. It is being born again, right? So that notion of Jesus saying to Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus is like, am I supposed to crawl into my mother's womb again? Right. And Jesus is like, come on, you idiot, right? Like <laughs> right. Whenever, I, whenever I read the passage, I'm like, okay, buddy. Annoying, okay. right? You can't tell. You're one of those. Yeah, so annoying. Basically. Yeah, but but the, actually the Greek word uh, is anathen, and it could be born from above as well as born again. And the context of that is like, yes, it is a rebirth in the spirit, right? So baptism kills me in my sinful covenant with Adam, and it revives me in a new covenant. It resurrects me in the covenant with Christ. That is all of St. Paul's theology in Romans chapter 6 about baptism. Do you not know that those of you who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? So when a Protestant comes up to me, uh, you know, like I in Oklahoma happened all the time, and they would say, you know, if you were to die tonight, you know, do you know that you're saved? Do you know that you, you know, have you been saved? You know, whatever question that you have. The idea is, as Catholics, we believe that that moment of justification when I am baptized is when God adopts me. So when I come up out of the waters, just what the gospel writer says happened to Jesus in the baptismal waters in the Jordan happens to me. This is my beloved son. The father speaks and claims you as his son. The spirit comes upon you, right? And you are beginning your your divine filiation. So in reality, heaven is not a thing that happens to me when I die, right? The Trinitarian life, if, if heaven really is the union of man with God in Christ Jesus, then that begins now. 
That's what baptism is meant to be. It communicates. It takes you out of the covenant of Adam and the failed covenant of Adam and inserts you into the mystery of Christ. In him, in Christ, in the beloved, Ephesians chapter one. We've had our, our listeners listen to that, uh, read those um, that chapter in Ephesians chapter one over and over again. And the preposition in is used like 11 times. In him, in Christ, in the beloved, we have this redemption of our sins and now we're children of God. That's, that's why baptism, regeneration, new birth, being born again, that's why all those terms are there. We're born again into this divine filiation. So the Christian life is essentially an unfolding of this divine life that was gratuitously given to us in baptism. Right. So in first John, he says, we are children of God. Now we are children. We do not know what we will as yet be, but we are children of God. Now he also in first John, and and this is like a, a a distinction I really want to, I do want to make is he talks about the, like the criterion for sonship is righteousness right the acceptance right well okay so sonship gives us the ability to be righteous and our acceptance our embrace of that moral code that you were talking about is a manifestation of sonship and so i want to distinguish that between i guess what i'm trying to say is there are people out there who think the end of the christian journey is just knowledge that you're a son or daughter of god and that's not the end right it's 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 the beginning and there's so much more to uh, f- divine filiation than just the knowledge of it happening. Right? I mean, it, yeah, it's real. So, it's actual. It's a growth. It's something It's it's something metaphysical it's that, that changes. Wh- yeah, it's that from which we live our life. Right? It is that from which we live our life. Right? So you cannot earn the initial grace of justification. You cannot earn that. That is freely given to you by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? So in the catechism, it says that the paschal mystery has two aspects. By his death, Christ liberates us from sin. By his resurrection, he opens for us the new the way to the new life. This new life is the justification in Christ's grace, in God's grace, whereby we become children of God, right? So this notion is now I'm, I've been filially adopted, right? I have that adoption by God in Christ. So now I must live a life worthy of the gospel. So in in 1 John chapter 2, he says, my little children, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So the idea is keeping the commandments of God is how, if you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus says, because that's sonship. So why is mortal sin so evil? Why does it mortus, deadly? It's because it destroys our relationship with the Father. It destroys the the life of charity in our souls, the bond of love between us and the Father, right? So if we don't understand what this new life is, to us, mortal sin is just breaking a really bad commandment. Whoopsie. I'll go to confession, and I'll lump in my mortal sins with my venial sins. But if you begin to look at it from this place of divine sonship, a mortal sin is the equivalent of Adam and Eve walking away from God in the garden, right? A mortal sin is the equivalent, right, of Judas betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, right? The idea of mortal sin as being so grave, it, it St. Augustine would say it would be better for the whole universe to cease existing than for people to commit sin, right? So the, the corruption, the loss of an eternal son of God from fellowship with God, that is horrific. It is us being reinstated into the covenant family and then saying, I prefer, like the younger brother, to loose living in a foreign, in a far off land. It's self-exile. 
And that's the thing that I don't think we really understand. Saying to the father, give me my inheritance now is the equivalent of saying, like, I want to enjoy the world and its pleasures and its delights. And, you know, I want to define my life for myself apart from you. And then God grants you that freedom, like that terrible compliment he pays to our our freedom is him saying, okay, your will be done, which is horrific, right? And scary. But the way Jesus articulates it is self-exile, right? Which is a kind of death. Your brother was lost and now was found, was dead and now is alive. So to be a Christian means to follow in the way of the Lord Jesus, to live his life. And we got an, we got a lot of really positive feedback for that episode on biblical morality. And we got one uh, weird negative feedback about like us being judgmental. And here's the thing. I am absolutely judgmental when it comes to morality. And what I mean by that is I'm not judging whether or not others are moral enough for me, right? That's the typical judgmentalism. You're not as good as me, right? It's this notion of like to uphold biblical morality is to uphold the ideal that judges us, right? That And we have to understand this. I, I just gave the analogy at my, at my <laughs> on the retreat of like, I was setting up for the retreat and they had the food laying out and I'm trying to lose weight. Right. And they had these oatmeal raisin cookies and I love them. The really soft, chewy ones. And so I took, I'm like, I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to eat it. Then I took one out and I put it on top of the cookie case and I'm staring at it. And then I took it and I broke it. I was like, I'll just eat half. And I broke it in half. And then I put it back in the cookie case. I'm like, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. And I walked away. I had that broken in half cookie the entire time I gave the retreat and then eventually I threw it in the trash. But the idea, the thing was like, I have this ideal of trying to be healthy and lose weight and all this stuff. And here are these distractions that come alongside that take me off the path. And the the reality is I can be saved if I end up off the path. But C.S. Lewis said it best. The way we're saved is by going from the wrong path and being put by Christ's mercy into the right path. Now, thank God the one who gives the law is also the one who saves us from our sin. That's the Christian twist, right? He is the lawgiver, but he's also the merciful savior for those who break the law. My little children, I'm writing this to you so that you don't sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous. He is the expiation for our sins, right? So that's the that's the movement. It's like, I have to live a better life. I have to be conformed in the image of Christ. That's what it means to be holy. That's the point. When I, not if I, but when I fail... Christ's mercy, if I throw myself onto the sun, his mercy restores me to that path. I don't despair the path. He restores me to the path. Right. And if you are are thinking that maybe it's too passionate or too, I don't know, in quotes, judgmental, think about it in the way Gomer presented it, is that it, mortal sin is a is literally saying to your father, like, I choose not to be your son. I choose not to be I want my inheritance now. I, I want you dead, basically. I want to live my life the way yeah. I want to live it. I mean, that's that's serious, and it's it's heartbreaking, and that's what we want to save people from. And it's yeah. not it's not judgmental. It's it's a warning that you're you're walking off a cliff here, right? Uh, I I just think you know this is such a such an important topic, and and we've only I mean we just barely hit this you know nick the surface of this of of the morality side take the other side of of like the 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 growth that can happen and the the full theosis that you see in the lives of the saints and things like that it's it's beautiful it's amazing yeah and so the the pithy little summary is what is christ's by nature shall be ours by grace 
right? He was fully God, fully man, perfectly united, the union of the divine and human without the absorption of the human into the divine, but the union of the divine and human in the one person, Jesus Christ, right? What is Christ by nature shall be ours by grace. So one day your humanity, fully healed and restored by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, will be perfectly and infinitely united to the divine nature. St. Peter says that we are partakers of the divine nature. That's why he died for sin, so that the thing that cannot endure God's presence is removed from our hearts, so that, I always tell people, the so that matters more than anything else, so that we can come home to the Father, so that we can truly be holy as he is holy and partake of the divine nature. So what I'm going to do for everyone is I'm going to, if if you want my little, how many pages is it, like 15 page, 19 page handout um, that I gave my staff, I would encourage you to shoot us an email at eksb at ascensionpress.com. It's just a bunch of Bible quotes and catechism quotes and a cool triangle, uh, but uh, it, it'll have that and you can have that and just take it to prayer or whatever you need to do. But before we go out to break and come back, we're going to go through some practicals and I want to let Dave share something fancy. Yeah, well, I just want to remind you, in case you uh, didn't hear last week or in case you, you forgot about it, Gomer and I are hosting a five-day evangelization boot camp online. It's going to be virtual. It's going to be April 25th to the 29th from 8.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, each night, Gomer and I will take a topic. Uh, we're going to alternate nights, and then on the last night, we'll be there together, kind of like an episode. And uh, we're going to take questions. We're going to have different topics that we talk about specifically. But it's really uh, a yeah. week of uh, retreat, coaching, and evangelization training. And it's going to be uh, every night for five days starting April 25th going to April 29th. Uh, and if you would like to sign up for this, we'd love to have you. It's evangelizationbootcamp.com. Evangelizationbootcamp.com. Hey, Dave, I got a funny uh, question that Father David Huss sent us. Yeah. He said, when you go to sign on and register, it looks like you're just picking one day. Yeah, I think it, that's the way GoToWebinar is, but it just looks like okay. that, and you're good to go for all yeah, all five days. So. And it's Eastern time. It is the most yeah. the most often question we get is: Is it Central or Eastern? I'm gonna change it's that right Eastern, now. not my beautiful, beautiful Central time. Yeah, and, and Dave, could you add more mountains in the background? Could you find a way? No, because we're just really climbing one mountains. mountain. The, that mountain was very specific. Okay. It's really important. It's the mountain of evangelization that we're climbing. And you know what's at the top of that mountain? What? Divine filiation. <laughs> All right, we're gonna be right back after this brief message from our sponsor. Do you want to be holy? And do you want to be an instrument of renewal in this world? And if so, do you believe it's possible? Do you know what it looks like? Do you know where to begin? Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. My name is Father Mark Mary. I'm a Franciscan friar of the renewal. And I wrote a book called Habits for Holiness. And it pulls from over 800 years of Franciscan tradition, wisdom, and experience of radical and total discipleship in the midst of the world, but in a way which begins with little steps and works not only for religion, not only for priests, but for everybody. The change you desire is possible. The conversion you desire is possible. The renewal you desire is possible. The healing you desire is possible. And it begins with little steps. So to guide you on your way and to help you make the next best step of renewal in your life, I'd invite you to pick up a copy of my book, Habits for Holiness. God bless you.
And we're back. Hey, everyone. Uh, Gomer here. I want to thank Ascension Press for two reasons. Number one, for hosting this show. It's so great. They always have uh, amazing content and stuff that's out there. Your Lent can be blessed so much by their Lenten companion. I love it. My wife reads it every morning. But the another reason is they maintain show notes that I would never do because I am lazy. And all my other podcasts, I have no show notes because I never want to type them. But so what I'm going to do is I'm going to send them the catechism references. I'm going to send them the catechism references uh, for divine filiation. What I did was I went throughout the whole catechism, uh, starting with paragraph one and ending with the fourth part on prayer. And I just took the parts that talk about us being children of God, adoptive sons and daughters, all that stuff. And I just want you, it's 12 paragraphs. I would love for you to prayerfully reflect on these things because if we're shaping and and rebuilding our catechetical ministries post-COVID, you have time to think about how can I communicate to my people that this divine filiation matters and is central. So that's the that's the one practical takeaway. I'm going to copy and paste it right now when I send over the email, and it is going to have our, our thing in the show notes. We want all 12 of these so that you can meditate on it. Maybe you want to take one a day. Maybe you just want to do them all at once to get the flow and the, and the path. But I think it's very important for us to understand God's grace is here to make us sons and daughters. That's why Christ died. That's why Christ rose from the dead. That's why he breathed his Holy Spirit upon us to make us sons and daughters in him. All right, everyone. Bye. Evangelizationbootcamp.com, baby. God bless. God bless.